So this is the uh, uh, opportunity, the end of the three months, three month winter retreat, to uh, practice together as a group. So during the three months we have opportunities for living in the forest, practicing alone, and kind of ordinary routine practice and then formal practice on and on like this. These are <clears throat> just adapting to the particular conditions that we find. that come our way, are available. <clears throat> and so then one thinks of the word practice as a, something you've got to do, like practicing meditation is, and then it brings up this uh, compulsive feeling that I've got to do something, like Anapanasati, or developing the four foundations of mindfulness, or always this sense of practice is, it's good, it's, you should do it. <clears throat> so then, in, uh, just notice how that does affect, you know, this, what that is, uh, you know, this sense of our words like practice, doing something good, something you should be doing. What kind of mental state that brings into consciousness. When you're in the woods, in the hammer wood alone, without a particular, you know, form, like morning, evening chanting, and and that where you're left to your own resources. You know, sometimes that that first can be quite daunting because, uh, you know, we want to establish some form for our practice. And we also can get into the idea we should practice. It's uh, all the time. Really, practice, practice, practice. And then what happens, you know? So, the important thing is the awareness, seeing how conventions, ideas, words, things affect your consciousness. And not saying how, I'm not telling you how it should affect your consciousness, because that would be impossible. It, it affects it the way, like this, you know, whatever the word practice does to you right now, it's like this. <clears throat> Group practice, formal meditation practice, walking practice, sitting practice, vipassana. Consciousness is uh, when awareness, consciousness, or mindfulness, consciousness, then we're, <clears throat> with this, we are able to recognize uh, how the conditioned realm that we create, the habit tendencies. The emotional habits we have are the assumptions, views, opinions that we make about ourselves and the world. So it's like a, a non-state. It's a consciousness, awareness, consciousness to, is, a rec is a natural state. It's not a created state. 
<clears throat> you don't make it happen. You don't create it. You just recognize it's like this. So it's not dependent on being alone in the woods or strict meditation retreat or lots of practice, practice and and all kinds of other good things. I'm not knocking this or... But we do get attached, we do form opinions about what good practice is and what I should practice and how everyone should practice. Some. Some of you get so conceited you think you know how everyone else should practice. Now when I say, we're pointing to consciousness and mindfulness, awareness, then you know, these are not, I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, I'm not speaking from theory, from some kind of definitions of these, but the reality, this, this consciousness is like this, awareness, It's recognized, realized, recognized. And so from there you have perspective on the comings and goings of your thoughts, emotions, memories, ideas, and all the rest of the sense, sensual sense uh, experiences, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. But then you're looking at it with with wisdom, panya, rather than from just uh, the conditioned reactions, habits that you had, attach, or in other words, attachment or upatana. <clears throat> so when we don't don't realize this natural state of being, then we we are kind of conditioned creatures. Personalities. We're monks and nuns. We're Theravadan Buddhists. We're British or American or Thai or Russian or Cambodian or whatever. Then we attach to all the conventions, and then of course we we are we act accordingly. The love, hate, the like, dislike, the the habit patterns we have in regards to the conventional world that we're identified with and attached to. Now, in the Four Noble Truths, the aim is to to recognize the dukkha of attachment, or the suffering that comes through attachment to conditions. It's to be recognized like this. It's not, it's not blaming it on the conditions. You know, so it's not nothing to do with, with the conditions and their quality, but it's recognizing how attachment even to the very best conditions is still unsatisfying, unsatisfactory. And uh, also the dukkha, in, say, in terms of the three uh, signs, anicca, dukkha, nata. You know, if you really contemplate anicca <clears throat> in every possible way through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, you know, emotions, uh, everything, you know, with a subtle subtle movements, energetic movements, or uh, memories, coarse, subtle, whatever. 
when you really uh, understand Anicca, then <clears throat> dukkha also becomes apparent because, you know, the suffering that is so rampant in the human realm is because we we expect more from the conditioned realm than it can possibly give us. And we're looking for happiness in the conditioned realm. It, we are going to end up being disappointed. Because a conditioned realm is like this. It comes and goes. It arises, ceases. But this awareness, consciousness, is a, is a constant factor while the, while the conditions come and go. So it's, it's recognizing this natural state, consciousness, is light also. So you, you, you know, your true nature then is light consciousness, deathlessness. This is Dhamma, natural the, uh, nature, the way it is. But then the self-view arises from identity with the, with the conditions. So we're caught into the, the, you know, the body identity attachment to our bodies, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara. And then sense consciousness, seeking, you know, the, pleasurable experiences through the senses, trying to avoid or get rid of or resist the unpleasant sense experiences. Emotions, we want to be happy and, and uh, blissful and have interesting, have meaning, purpose and good relationships and Success in our lives, so that emotionally, you know, we we long for for the best that we can conceive of. But then, in the conditioned realm, things change. So it can't, nothing can stay the best. So even you know, as a success, as a winner, as a champion, or whatever, still, you know, you can't sustain the peak moment. The peak, so it's, it's not anything that's sustainable. So recognizing, you know, realizing the, the nature of conditioned phenomena is impermanent, unsatisfying as an end in itself, and not self. It's not what one is or one's true nature. So, the reflecting over and over again in this way, because we do forget, and they, they, we need to remind ourselves and be reminded. So, this uh, reflections in the morning are just trying to ha- remind you. You've heard this. I've been speaking like this for years now. <laughs> You've heard it over and over again. But in none, we, we do forget, and we, and, and the world does impinge on us. It's very intimidating. The, the, the world around us, the, the community, problems in the community, in the area, the society, the world. <clears throat> you know, there's so many issues and so many, uh, dangerous signs and, bad news and urgent problems and so forth. And the world 
is very powerful, and very frightening. Also, there's so many things happening all at once that it's very confusing. You know, so many good causes, so many, so much to do, so, so many important issues, and there's so much uh, foolishness, things that shouldn't be, so much corruption, heedlessness, selfishness. That uh, on that level, you know, it's a one does feel a sense of despair arising when trying to, to straighten out the world. So the reflection on the world is uh, taking uh, away the assumption of the world as something external. We're now, during this uh, retreat, the world is what you create in your mind. So what are you thinking right now? The assumptions you're making, the sense of yourself as a separate person, your position, your nationality, your tendencies, your loves and hates, opinions and views. This is this is the world. I'm talking about the real world. As you know, we've all been accused of not living in the real world. But the world in this terms, in Buddhist terms, is a loka world, is attachment to the conditioned realm. So you can see that each one of us lives in our own world most of the time. You know, the mistakes I've made have always been expecting or thinking that you're experiencing the same thing the same way I am. Or thinking that you should, if you're not experiencing it like I am, then you should. But that is another opinion, isn't it? It's not that each one of us is has our karma, the things that that offend us or upset us or that we're attached to, that we detest, that we love and hate and so forth, so that and, and things that we feel offended, insulted by, or one of these are quite individual. <clears throat> so the conditioned world is this, is uh, you know, is infinite variety of change. It's all the colors, the red blue, yellow, and all variations on primary colors, and it's uh, men and women, and uh, day and night, sun and moon, right and wrong, what should and what shouldn't be, heaven and hell, angels and devils, a whole range of infinite variety of refinements, coarseness. But the constant non-state is this awareness, is consciousness. Through all this, we're conscious. And with awareness, then consciousness is no longer just being uh, taken over by attachment to the forms out of ignorance. So like out of ignorance, out of not understanding, not seeing the true nature of things, then we're constantly creating worlds in our consciousness. The sense of ourself as a separate person, uh, our identities, our loves and hates,
So this this world that we create is is um, you know there's nothing even wrong with that if we know what it is. But when we believe our illusions, our reality, that's what suffering is all about. The dukkha of believing in in uh, our own delusions, the worlds that we create out of ignorance. So in this this um, refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this is a conventional way of Buddhist way of pointing to this reality. This state consciousness is, is what you're experiencing right now, all of us. This allows us to see, hear, smell, taste, touch, consciousness. If, if we didn't have consciousness, even our eyes wouldn't work anymore. They'd be useless. So consciousness is not personal, isn't it? I'm not my consciousness. For for that appearance, I have to start thinking me, my consciousness. Ajahn Sumato consciousness is different than Ajahn Karuniko consciousness. But these are, you know, to that's a thought, isn't it? That's a identity of I'm Ajahn Sumato and he's Ajahn Karuniko. We're separate two different people. And that's the conventional assumption from the way it seems. But pure consciousness is not, has no name, doesn't belong to any individual, but we all experience it. We all can recognize it. But usually our life is caught up with our, you know, attachment to our bodies and our emotional habits and views and opinions. So then we're, we're always, uh, we always feel this separation, difference, which can be irritating. We irritated or we get very attached to certain people, places, we get strong views strong opinions about how things should be. We get very upset when things don't go the right way or somebody does something they shouldn't, uh, we think they shouldn't do. And <clears throat> So our, this is the world that we create. So just pointing at the beginning of this retreat, this this is the this is the reality of this world: consciousness, awareness. How do you separate consciousness from the sense of yourself or your thoughts? Because out of ignorance, we're usually only experiencing consciousness through our delusions. So we're you know I, the delusions of. Uh, attachment to the five khandhas, body, feelings, perceptions, emotions. This is how we experience consciousness, through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought. Now that's where like awareness <clears throat> is the only possible way Sati Sampatanya, the only possible way that we can realize pure consciousness that isn't that isn't attached. We're not attached to anything, but we're, there's certain there's certainly consciousness is like this, and then from there we can. We have the perspective, the comings and goings the, uh, of the conditions. So 
So thoughts arise and cease, memories come and go, feelings, pleasure, pain, hunger, hot, cold, odors and sounds and so forth. The all conditions, sape sankarani cha, all conditions are impermanent. Sape tama anatta, all dhamma is anatta, non-self. So when there isn't any self, what's left is still consciousness. So consciousness also has, uh, say, you know, because we, when we're not attached to forms and conditions, then consciousness is it sustains itself. We don't create it. I don't make myself conscious. I make myself. I create myself as a person, as a separate personality, and my my preferences, my prejudices, my views and opinions. But if I stop doing that and just observe, witnessing and investigating this moment, you know, the here and now, because there's consciousness now and then if I'm paying attention, just noticing, observing what I'm feeling, just the feeling in my guts or the attitude or general mood that you happen to be in right now, or your physical body, how is it, you know, what does it feel like right now? The breath. Anapanasati. So then it's to, to observe this. What? What do you? How do you do that? And you just take the position of witnessing, observing, noticing, paying attention. So the teachings, you know, the Buddhist teachings are kind of expedient means for reminding us to remember, pay attention, and investigate you know, really look into the way things are. And so this is all very well spelled out in the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. It's very, it's simple enough teaching. But the, but then it's not a matter of just learning the words, but of using that teaching for investigation until you, you really break the habit Recognize this uh, and the insight into non-attachment, non-self is like this, and so you know it. Not not uh, not uh, just think that you you know. Sometimes you might think you know it, but then the real test is when say when you. If you're, you know, you get a, through a lot of concentration and sensory deprivation, one can get very pleasant, uh, pleasantly tranquil. But then what happens when you go back and, and, and somebody starts yelling at you and, and accusing you of doing something wrong and then what happens? You know, so, so the, uh, I recommend, you know, that you 
instead of seeking just pleasant, tranquil states all the time, because they are preferable, you know, use the the flow, the way life moves and changes, the praise and blame, the war and peace, the whole lot is is opportunity, as occasion for realizing this, this is it, this is the refuge, and the condition is then seen in terms of its anicca quality, its anatta rather than intimidating and catching us and grabbing, we're grabbing hold of it and lost in into this samsara all the time. So when we talk about sati, the the Pali word sati, it's like it's like remembering the present or recollecting now. It's not trying to remember something, you know, like remembering what we did yesterday. But that's that's uh, recalling something from the past. But sati is awakening, recollecting the present is like this. Pachubana Dhamma. Because if we if we lack sati, then we're caught always in our habits, which are based on a, on the illusions of self and time. So our lives are spent, you know, pra- trying to improve myself now, practicing now to to get enlightened in the future. So I'm pointing to the whole, that, that, that delusion that oftentimes is our, what motivates us, our modus operandi. I'm unenlightened with a lot of defilements, need to practice in order to purify myself and hopefully become enlightened in the future. So, when you really observe this this assumption, what is it? I am a person, and then I'm saying I am somebody or a person, and that and that this person hopes to become enlightened in the future if I practice hard. <clears throat> Well, that's a delusion, isn't it? That whole scenario is is based on ignorance, on vicha. I am this person, and and this person was born so many years ago, and has done so many things, good karma, bad karma, and now is here at the monastery in order to get my act together and practice hard, hopefully, to get enlightened before I kick the bucket. <laughs> and for the user who don't know, kick the bucket means die. <laughs> <laughs> So then we think, you know, enlightenment then, then sounds like something very desirable. A state, you know, where, where I'm free and happy and, and I've atoned for my sins and I'm purified. So this is all, these are thoughts, aren't they, and words, ideas, the sense of a self, a total commitment to, to the illusion of self, and time is reality. I'm not saying there's anything, you know, saying it's wrong or 
but you know it's not not a criticism of it but pointing to its limitation if if we start from this delusion if this is if we never question this basic delusion you could spend years practicing meditation without you know without seeing through this delusion you might just end up you know becoming disillusioned with it or just become very attached to concentration to controlling everything around you so the 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 idea of of time is that we i'm practicing now for tomorrow for the future i've got to sit so many hours a day in order to get my samadhi in order to become enlightened in the future and in a conventional way that might be true you know as a person is can a person ever become enlightened in other words can my personality ever become an enlightened personality let's put it in in those terms can your your personality ever become an enlightened personality so then the examination of what personality is what is what do we mean by that word personality and that's a attachment isn't it to to sankharas to memories and assumptions about oneself one's nationality one's gender one's age appearance class political views <laughs> the whole thing religion <clears throat> so personality is it can that ever be enlightened condition phenomena its very nature is is dukkha it can never be sukha no it can never be a kind of permanent sukha you can have temporary sukha on the condition plane it's the best that it offers but it's not liberating you can't be liberated through just happiness uh, as a, as a as an end in itself so it's like getting to the roots of this is starting from here and now because that's all there ever is experience is now speaking in a conventional way right now i'm sitting here in this seat the body is like this i'm aware now this looking and noticing my body my my right leg is under my left my left leg is on top of my right leg my legs are bent my right foot is it's usually kind of numb lumpy feeling it always has that when i notice it i don't spend my my life being conscious of my lumpy foot but <laughs> i did it that moment then notice my back my left arm is left hands resting on my the thigh of my left leg right now and my right hand is touching the mat resting on the right thigh touching the mat like this now this is just observing isn't it i'm not i'm saying i've got to sit in perfect posture and now i start idealizing you know oh there you go you're slumping again or you know you get into ideals of of how you should sit then you then one is kind of always 
having an image of uh, of good posture and then trying to make yourself force the body to sit like that without being aware of what you're doing. So I'm encouraging good posture too. I'm not uh, saying any old posture is fine. But whatever posture you're in, that's the point. It doesn't have to be perfect or good posture, but it is like this. So you start noticing it's like this. Just the experience of a body, the way it, the, the, the way it, it, the kind of heaviness of the body it's sitting, its weight on the mat, the pressure that you're experiencing through sitting. And you can, uh, it's using the body because it's here and now. It's, uh, you know, it's a very obvious presence. And so the four postures, the sitting, standing, walking, lying down, these are, you know, in, in classic Buddhist terms, we, we observe. We use the four postures. That doesn't mean you're not aware of of your body when it's in, not in exactly those perfect postures. But it is a way of saying, you know, the movement that you have throughout the day and night, because you're either sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. So the point is, not the posture so much as using it, uh, getting to observe it. Being aware of it, not in terms of, of uh, you know, criticizing it and uh, trying to, you know, get perfect body or perfect posture or anything, but just uh, being opening to the experience, the reality of your physical body at this moment, it's like this. So that's consciousness, isn't it? That is embracing the body. When I do this, then I have a sense of the body being in the consciousness. Where culturally I'm conditioned to think consciousness is in the body, in the brain usually, usually assuming the brain is our consciousness. But in the reality of this moment, the experience, because I, I, the, what I'm doing is just observing the Experience of sitting is like this. So in order to observe just the, the act of sitting without focusing on any one thing, any one part of the body, just the reality of sitting is like this. And that applies to the other three, sitting, uh, standing, walking, lying down. And then breathing, inhaling, exhaling. And then mood, you know, what state, what kind of mental state are you in? You awake, feel healthy or sleepy or dull or inspired or bored, indifferent, whatever. You know, these are just words, but there's no way that you should be feeling right now. But whatever you're feeling is like this. Say, say the mood uh, that you're in, mental, mental state. Body like this. So you're noticing, you're, you're being the witness to the way it is. By observing the obvious conditions that are, that, that are happening right now, not about enlightenment in the future, and what you've got to do in order to get that desired goal sometime before you drop dead. But it's uh, like this. 
So then reflecting on using the Pali terms like vijnana, consciousness is like this. Sati sampatanya. Sampatanya is like like intuitive uh, sense. So it's it's uh, being able to recollect here and now and and embrace. It's embracing everything. It's not dividing. It's not a judging, <coughs> preferring. Uh, condition. So you're not you're not uh, you know trying to to control anything, but just opening. It's sati samajana, the sense of opening, relaxed attention, opening, observing, listening, just being present. Where the tendency to where you have perspective on your habits, like I've got to practice, I've got to do this. What should I do? Should I? A lot of you get confused. You think, should I practice metta first, or anapanasati? Should I do samatha before vipassana, or should I just bypass samatha and do pure vipassana, or do I have to get the jhanas first before I can do vipassana? Or should I practice metta first? Or practice my mantra to Kuan Yin? Some of you go outside the tradition. <laughs> and then... Whatever. Now that is all, you know, thinking again, isn't it? What should I do now? Just sit here and be aware of what's next. You know, so this is where it's a matter of trusting this awareness more, recognizing it. So it's not, not some, not another technique that you, you, you know, that, that you think I'm expecting you to do. Another technique you have to develop. Another thing you have to do. But just trust yourself to open to where, what it's like right now for you, what you're experiencing right now. And if you aren't sure of what it's like, then it's not knowing like this. What should I do next? Should I practice metta first or do samatha? Should I do anapanasati? First or second or <laughs> or you've got strong views. First, you've got to get your samadhi before you can really do vipassana. It says so in the scriptures. And when you get a certain level of samadhi, neighborhood concentration kanika samadhi, then you can do your vipassana. But until you get kanika samadhi, you can't do vipassana, impossible. I've heard this quite a few times. Now what is that in terms of experience right now? Coming from an authority and even quoting from the scripture. So then you then the self says, oh, I've got to get my Kanika Samadhi, I've got to get that, and what is it? (laughs) Have I ever reached it? My mind wanders a lot, and things like this. I've been practicing for years, never quite figured out whether I've got that. I've tried down upon a sati, but every time I just wander, A little better, though. I can sustain awareness for half an inhalation. (laughs) So it's it's you know that's why 
sati-sampachanya is the ability we have to observe the way it is. What, you know, you, if you have fixed ideas of practice, then you're not really aware of the conditions affecting you here and now. You know, so we tend to force ourselves and to make things happen out of holding to ideas, views and opinions. And ideas, views and opinions are probably very good ones. But it's the grasping, you know, it's not, it's not trusting yourself to observe what state you're in, whether you're, what you're feeling peaceful or upset or feeling sleepy or dull or feeling, uh, you know, at ease with life, whether you're happy or sad, things are going well or going all wrong. I mean, these, these are, you know, way that things change for us in in consciousness. So you're never the same. You know, you come into this meditation hall, and and you know you can't say, "Well, I feel the same every time I come into this hall." But whatever way you're feeling, whatever state of mind you're in, is like this: noticing. Just being aware, awakened to, it's like this. So what I'm encouraging then is to, is is this, this uh, learning to trust yourself, your ability to observe. And it, uh, and then this is an observing, witnessing, uh, in, uh, Thai first tradition, puto, the knowing, the way it is. Buddha, the very word Buddha. Puto is the one who knows, the knowing, it's like this. From there, then you, you're in the present, you know, you're, it's the present. It's not thinking, oh, I've got the, this bad mood which I've got to get rid of in order to get my kanika samadhi. <laughs> and you get into that one, you know, you, you know, you just, uh, you're coming from ideas that you've read or somebody's told you without realizing what you're doing. You're not, you, you believe what the scripture says or what the teacher tells you, you should, how you should practice. <clears throat> So the attempt this morning is to, you know, to awaken you, not trying to convince you, but awaken and trusting. It's very simple, very ordinary. Here and now, nothing to do with the way you're feeling right now, physically or mentally. That's none of my business. But it's, but empowering you. Say I'm I'm empowering you on this retreat. But not me, you know. Not like I have some. <laughs> I'm God, and I can empower you. I don't want to give that impression. <laughs> I hate that when people expect me to empower them. <clears throat> but anyway, that's just another view and opinion. But the, what's going on is uh, is like this. Now, if you learn to accept the way you are right now, even if you don't like the way you are. So it's like sati sampachanya. It's not a matter of liking or approving, but it's it's the ability to accept, receive, even what you don't like. It's not not saying, trying to say I don't want this, uh, I don't like it. How can I get rid of it? But a willingness to bear with even the unpleasantness, the pain, or the bad mood, or the despair or the fear, or anger, whatever that you're experiencing now. It's 
the way it is, it's like this. So by this way of reflecting, you're beginning to notice. Really inform yourself with wisdom the the way it is that see the Dhamma of this of the you know, the reality here and now rather than operate continuously from avicca or ignorance. So notice how the Buddha operated in his teaching. You know, he gave us a conventional teaching. You know, so he has four noble truths. So it's a it's a convention in itself. It's not ultimate reality, is it? It is a it's words like anything else. Because we have to start from here and now. So he pointed to dukkha as the noble truth, because that's the general experience that human beings have. And this feeling of you know always wanting, not wanting, and seeking happiness, and feeling lonely, and unfulfilled, and disappointed, and longing for something. This, uh, this is uh, you know the common to all human beings. But obviously, they weren't any different in the time of the Buddha. Same thing, same problem existed in ancient India as it does here. So, pointing to suffering or dukkha. And so this is, you know, so this is observing the way it is. What the, any attachment, any view, any opinion I have right now is like this. If I feel, I've come here to practice, to really get my practice together and attach to this view, I can see that. I've started observing, listening to, to this obsessiveness that I can create in my mind about hard work and practice and getting somewhere and getting rid of my bad, uh, my faults, my defilements. Because that's how my personal conditioning operates. My personality is all about, you know, controlling, trying to get and trying to get rid of. Very judgmental, isn't it? Very critical mind. How things should be and shouldn't be. How I should be and I, how I shouldn't be. What good monks and nuns are and what bad monks and nuns are like. So just observing this, the awakenness, observing is like, it's a very natural state. I'm not asking you to, to, to concentrate or do anything special, but just trust yourself to be attentive, observant, listening, reflecting on, it's like this. They say the way it is 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 uh, using language in order to to just notice, to point to, not to define or describe what you're experiencing. Not a description. The way it is is kind of vague in terms of you know you want to get a grasp on the way it is. So they, what way is it? Tell me. They well, it's like this. What's that? What do you mean like this? <clears throat> It's not, it's a, so it's pointing at here now. So the way it is, it's like this. And this puts me in the, you know, I start relaxing into this attentive state. Where I can begin to notice any compulsive tendencies I have. That I've got to get something or do something or... Get rid of something. And it's not saying there's anything wrong with that. We're just beginning to notice. So that, you know, one can choose to do something, but it's coming from, from panya rather than from just obsessive habits, compulsive tendencies.
So I'm not against practice, 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 and working hard and all that. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. But pointing to attachment to to those kind of uh, assumptions, you know, like this, this feeling of, you know, that when you, when you have suffer from compulsion, what is it like? It just, it drives you all the time. You feel guilty if you're not practicing all the time or doing what you think is real practice. And, and if you're just uh, relaxing, you can, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be relaxing now, I should be practicing. What if the teacher comes in, sees me, sees me relaxed? I think I'm not a serious monk. I'm not a good bhikkhu. So we go into like you know, like being in the military sometimes, isn't it? So you you begin to notice this this fear of what others think, of being intimidated by authority, of of compulsive tendencies you have. And it's not judging, it's, not, it's just observing, it's like this. Like we can get into, you know, like an authority problem. Of, you know, I, I have a real fear of authority, so when the senior monk comes in, I just feel so intimidated by them. and and uh, Because it's his fault, he's, he's always, you know, you can blame blame the seniority or hierarchy or whatever. But then that doesn't resolve the problem at all. It just make, takes you, you know, makes you resent and blame. So use it, you know, even if some very uh, kind of intimidating teacher or monk comes in, observe, you know, learn from. It's not that you shouldn't feel the way you're doing it, feeling when, when this happens, when these conditions come, exist, then this is the feeling I'm having. It's like this. And just noticing, and in this way of accepting, it's metta practice also, because metta is our ability to receive uh, unconditionally. Like metta practice is not a critical practice. It's not blaming anybody. It's, it's uh, loving kindness, unconditioned love or acceptance of everything as it is. The changingness of conditioned phenomena, whether it's mental, physical, good, bad. So this uh, hopefully is some encouragement and reminding. uh, Remind yourself when you're getting caught up, uh, you know, with things and, and, um, you know, in any way, emotionally or just sense of duty or responsibility or the way things change and move in, in this community, just remind yourself, observe the feeling of the way it is, you know, you feel like this. When things change in a way that, or things happen, unpredictable things, or it's like this, not feeling, feeling insecure, it's like this. Or when somebody else is causing a lot of friction in the community, the feeling is like this. You know, so you're using the, the, the situation for awareness, not depending on everybody being in harmony and peacefulness, and then when there isn't any, then blaming and being averse to the, to the 
conditions. But in this way, it's uh, non-preferences, isn't it? It's whether it's, it's everything's harmonious and fair and we like it or it's all going wrong, then it's, when things seem to be going wrong, it's like this. And as you use this, you, you trust yourself to see this more and more, and you, your refuge is in the awareness rather than seeking to control and change and, and, and try to, you know, always looking for something, you know, that, that you imagine would be better. Well, then you can, you know, you just learn from everything this way, whether, you know, what life presents to you in whatever way it does, we learn from it. We can, it's, it's the path for us. It's, there's nothing, no condition is an obstruction or an obstacle. The obstruction is our own ignorance, our refusal to awaken. Navita or ignorance. So this is like encouraging, empowering you to not start from avicca, to start from awareness by recognizing sati sampajanya like this. So this is the here and now, starting from ground zero, from the present moment. Consciousness, awareness, connected, like this. And then the sense of me as a person is can be seen. You know, I'm not starting from the illusion of, uh, uh, meditating from the from the ignorant illusion of I'm somebody that that is unenlightened that needs to practice, hopefully to get enlightened in the future. Nor am I assuming I'm enlightened as a person either. I'm not saying I'm already enlightened. I don't need to practice. That's another illusion, isn't it? It's it's not a matter of being enlightened or unenlightened, but in awakening. It's an imminent act, natural state of attentiveness that isn't that you don't create, but that is it's not a state even, it's a non-state that reflects states, that reflects conditions.